Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, we sit down with Ali from Tahini's. And if you don't know Ali's story yet, or if you've never heard about Tahini's yet, you will never forget Tahini's after this, and you will be eating the best shawarma in your life always after this because you'll know where to find it. So his story is incredible, and I love what has happened with this particular podcast that we're able to sit down with people from all around the world because Ali's story takes him from Egypt and his family from Egypt to Saudi Arabia to Canada. His father actually was educated here in Canada, then went back to Egypt, worked in Saudi Arabia. Wait to hear this story. Then the whole family comes over here to London, Ontario. They work hard. They're building this awesome franchise that's going to take over the whole shawarma industry. And just to get his story and their perspective of why they left where they were, their views on the world, their views on business and money, I love hearing it from other people. And when we started this business, I guess we felt like we were in a bit of a silo. It was like Nick and I trying to carve out our own path and we were feeling like working for the rest of our lives was not gonna give us the freedom to truly live life on our own terms. It's what made us quit our jobs and start Rockstar to help other Canadians buy investment real estate so they can navigate through these crazy monetary policies that are artificially implemented in this country are not a true representation of what should be happening and it kind of rips apart the middle class so to hear Ali's story and and you know hear him map out what he thinks of the world business what he's doing we get into how he fell down the bitcoin rabbit hole I just love sharing these stories that there's a bunch of us out there that are all finding our own way and there's no one way to live life on your terms we all have different ways to do it but the fact that there is a bunch of us out there all doing it together, sharing each of our stories, I feel is very supportive and motivating. So I just love these opportunities to do this. And I feel like, especially over the last year, maybe it's since COVID hit, I'm not sure, just some of the stories that are coming out and that are bonding us together, I would have never imagined. So I'm just really thankful to make these relationships and talk about this stuff. And, and it's really what this podcast is about, just sharing different people's stories as they try to live life on their own terms for themselves and their family. So just very grateful to share this kind of information for you. And after you hear his story, you're definitely going to want to follow him on Twitter. Uh, Tahini's is a shawarma restaurant that has locations in London, Ontario. They just opened a franchise in Whitby. They're about to open up in Etobicoke. They're uh, going to open up in Oakville. We have breaking news. They're going to open up in Oakville. They're going to open up in Hamilton, it sounds like, as soon as well, soon, shortly, I guess, as well. And then they're going to go beyond that. So we're just really supportive of these guys and, um, yeah, want to get the message out. And we talk about business building, his journey, the family's journey. We go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole the whole bit. So if you, and if you are listening to this and you feel like you want to get some income properties in your life but you don't know how to make sense of this wild and wacky real estate market and you're wondering why are prices doing what they're doing, you're wondering where rents are going to head next, you're wondering about pop population growth in this country and what's going to happen to the population in the greater Toronto and Golden Horseshoe area, you can make sense of some of that by getting books that we give away for free on our website at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. And the reason that we love sharing these books is that we want to share good information from other Canadians who are actually implementing the strategies that are shared in those books, 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 books that are shared in those books right here in the greater Toronto and Golden Horseshoe area. We tried to search for that information for a long time and we can never get it. I know more of it is out there 
now than when we were starting out. But we like Canadian-specific information because sometimes the strategies that you read about from different authors or different people, they apply in some areas but not to different areas. If you're looking to make sense of how to invest in real estate in this market, whether it be duplexes, student rentals, burrs, whatever it is that you're going to do, fix and flip, you can find information at rockstarinnercircle.com. And if you want a free copy of one of our books, you can go to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's enough with the intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we're ready to roll. Wait, we have we have like you're you're like a legend. You're a legend. That this, no, no, no. I know you're not going to take it, but we have <laughs> Ali from Tahini's here. And if you don't know Ali, you're about to meet Ali, and you're going to get to know him real well. And you should be following him on Twitter. I don't usually start the podcast by saying you should be following him on Twitter, but he's got a personality on Twitter that you need to be following. We'll hand out your Twitter handle in in a, in a second, but uh, I just want to get into it. You give us a little bit of how you introduce yourself to people and then we'll get into your story and we'll get into some of your thoughts on Bitcoin and life and, and your family's history and everything. But how would you, how do you introduce yourself to people these days? Yeah, hundred percent, Tom. So first of all, thank you for having me on your show. I've been a huge fan over the past few months. I've been binge listening to uh, uh, all of your shows like on, on the road and stuff. And it's been amazing. And uh, yeah, we just, um, we run and operate a franchise business out of London, Ontario and it's called Tahini's Restaurants. Uh, we have four locations in London, Ontario right now, and one in Whitby, and then we're expanding a lot this year. And uh, we just, you know, lit, love the restaurant industry. And uh, we try to, like, we spend most of the day trying to perfect everything about our business from the small little things to the big things. And uh, yeah, and then <clears throat> 2020, and the problems, just before you get into 2020, and the problems and challenges and freaking nightmares that you have running your own business. Because that's a whole other thing that people don't really talk about, that, uh, that running your own business is like a, a huge challenge. So I have full respect for you that you say you have already that many locations. And is it fran are you franchising now? Is that what's happening? Yes, yes. So we are franchising, um, multiple, mostly franchising right now in Ontario, but... After we reach a certain number of locations, we're going to be going outside of Ontario, other provinces. Oh, no uh, way. The U.S. to Oh, yeah. here we go. And I just, for the record, I know my shawarma. I know my <laughs> shawarma. And so when I went to visit my son at Western, I, we were driving home. I was taking him back home. I forget what weekend it was. And I'm like, hey, Aiden, we have to stop at this place called Tahini's for shawarma. He's like, Dad... Why are we going to that sp that spot specifically? I'm like, you don't understand. But I feel like this is where you go if you are a Bitcoiner and you want good food. So we went, we ate, and we we're like, holy shit, the shawarma is really good. And both of us are, we. I guess whenever we have shawarma, we just like judge. We just very, I'm sure you're the same. We judge the 100%. shawarma places all over the, all over the place. Yeah, every and we're little like, thing. Shit, the shawarma is amazing. And then outside we took a picture and I felt like such a weird fanboy. I'm like, okay, I'm a 48-year-old <laughs> dad with his son eating shawarma, but I'm like... I felt so proud to eat there. We took a picture outside and we put it on Twitter and I think we tagged you and yeah. saying, hey man, we ate out here. We feel so happy. And then <laughs> I've noticed over the last few months, people comment to you saying, 
you know, when Bitcoin hits a certain price, I'm going to come up and eat at your restaurants and stuff. And it's like people all over the world are commenting uh, on that. So it's cool what you've uh, developed. You have this kind of like a restaurant business that's also has this personality baked into it from what you're doing, which is super cool to see. Yeah, that's awesome. And I've, I've been loving the the feedback and, and the love that we get from everyone on, on Twitter and all the Bitcoiners. They come from all over. They drive, they take road trips and, and come down and meet with me and we talk Bitcoin. And uh, it's been great. And the thing is, like, the best thing about the Bitcoin community is that it doesn't matter where you're from, what's your country or your race and you know, Bitcoin is borderless and so is the community and so is the love between them. And that's like the one of the best things that I love about the community. So bring it on, people. Let's come on, come on down and we can eat shawarmas and talk Bitcoin all you want. I love it. So what happened in uh, I want to ask about your, your family's history. So I don't know if you want to dive into that first or what happened to you in 2020. You were about to get into either path. You take it. Yeah. So uh, we kind of went through. Uh, like an event that kind of build like a framework uh, for inflation, uh, which is uh, 2011, uh, Arab Spring happened. We were all in Egypt at that point, and my father was working in Saudi Arabia um, to support the family and everyone. And then uh, we, we participated in the revolution. We were out in the streets protesting, got hit with, you know, tear gas and riot police and, and all of that. And... Uh, we decided after that to... And what can you just describe what the Arab Spring was all about for those people listening who don't know? Yeah, like people were just fed up with the dictators uh, that have been, you know, running the countries for 30 years. Like our, our president was running at that point for like 31 years. And their level of corruption and, and you know, uh, everything, every aspect of life was just too much to handle. And the people just got sick of it and they just decided to revolt. I forget, was there one event that made that revolt really kind of get, because I just remember seeing images, and I feel like it was on Twitter a lot, of everybody in the streets. Was there one event or was it just a buildup that it, eventually it just was, kind of grew? Yeah, it was a, it was a buildup, but then there was this one event uh, where a student um, got arrested and got beat to death by the police. And they stuffed uh, drugs in his mouth. Oh, I to think make I it, remember this. To make it look like uh, he was, you know, like a drug dealer or something. And uh, that story got like spread like wildfire, and it, the, the the rage um, of people just got you know too much. And then that that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Wow. Okay, so your family's yeah. there, and then what happens is that that's when you decide to leave. Your father's already in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, yeah. So my father at that point is already in Saudi Arabia. I had just graduated uh, in, in 2011, the same year. And uh, me and my brother uh, decided, you know what, Let's, uh, we, we wanted to start our careers here in Canada, right? So we, we made the move. We decided to uh, move to London, Ontario, because our sister was living there at the time. And my father at the same time also wanted to retire, so we were going to start our careers, my parents are going to retire, and we're all moving to Canada. And when he was about to retire, he wanted to uh, buy a property here, and he wanted to move money from Egypt to, uh, to London here. And the banks just said, no, you can't do that now. You can only move like $1,000 a month, which is like a slap in the face, right? Because his whole life... 
he worked up and saved. And this was his moment to almost kind of serve his family by making this move and using the money to do whatever he needed here. Yeah. And then being told no. This was 35 to 40 years of work that he wanted to to move. He had like real estate and fiat. That's what that were her, his main um, vehicles in Egypt. And when he wanted to, to retire, they just said, no, uh, you can't do it. So he was forced to actually go back to Saudi Arabia and work for an extra five years and then retire. So, right? so after five years, uh, it was a little bit easier to move money from Egypt. But by that time, Tom, the Egyptian dollar has dropped 65% against the U.S. dollar in the span of five years. And... That wasn't that wasn't the thing that pushed us into Bitcoin, but that was like kind of like a framework. Okay, like we know how bad inflation can get, and we've seen it in Egypt. We we see it right now in Lebanon. We see it in Turkey, Venezuela, Argentina. Like you know, people outside of the U.S. and Canada, they they you know they feel like they're kind of protected uh, against these sort of events. But you really got to ask yourself, like, why are we protected? Why can't this happen here? So, you know, there's really no reason, right? And if you think about it that way, then you can start to think about, like your mind can be open to think about solutions such as Bitcoin, uh, where you can protect yourself, protect your family against these type of events. Do you recall, and maybe you don't recall, but in Egypt when it lost its value, I guess the government was just printing more and more to fund different programs to make promises to the people to try to appease everyone. Is that why it fell in value? Yeah, 100%. They just printed it all. You know, they wanted to rebuild. They took the excuse of uh, the country getting destroyed by the revolution that, you know, we, uh, you know. We so this is for the good of, of the people that we need to do this. Yeah. That's why it's hard to detect, because when yeah. the government says this is for you that we're doing this, which is, I feel like happening all over the world right now. But in Canada specifically, this is what we're hearing a lot. We are doing this for you. We will stimulate the economy. We will do these programs. We will handle these loans. We'll make half of these grants. And it's all for you. So it's hard when you have discussions, I find, with people who don't have the broader context that you had. When you make the point that, hey, look, some of this stuff that we're being told is for us is actually destroying everything. And it's part of the reason that no one can afford the life that they want to afford and it, 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 it's difficult to make people, and, and we were just talking about it before we were recording, it, it's sometimes difficult to get people to, to see that context. Which yeah. so, so in all the pain that your family went through, it's put you in a position to have a broader context. And now you're yeah. communicating that out, which I think is very valuable. It's the same exact narrative, Tom. Like back then in Egypt, they were like, we need to build our country back better. We need to do this. Now, COVID is the main excuse to print all that money because we what we need to build back better. It's the same narrative. We've seen this before and it doesn't end well for the currency. And that's kind of the ultimate, um, you know, punch that kind of uh, punched us out of the fiat system and into the Bitcoin standard. So when did you get here? So your family, your father eventually then gets here. Do you immediate? How long ago was Tahini started? Yeah, so we bought our first restaurant in 2012, uh, a few months after we landed. Um, we were not in the restaurant That's industry crazy. at all. That's crazy. We, we just wanted to run pull our the business. Mic, pull the mic, yeah, a little closer. Sorry. Yeah, no, you're good. We just wanted to run uh, our own business. 
So we literally went out there and looked for businesses for sale, and we found this restaurant, uh, the shawarma restaurant, and like, okay, I let's like do shawarma. it. <laughs> I love shawarma. <laughs> let's do it. You know, we want to work, right? You know, this is a, this is a career, and we want it. We want it to be our own bosses. We didn't want to work for for other companies, and uh, it started with this one restaurant, and then it grew to two. It took f- like four years to to open the second one. And uh, we rebranded that during those four years, we rebranded to Tahini's the brand. And then a year after the second, we opened the third and then just things started to accelerate. The growth started to accelerate after that. But for the first like uh, seven years, like it was uh, it was a grind. It was a hustle, Tom. It wasn't easy at all. I, I can only imagine when Nick and I both quit, and we've shared this many times, the first five years, I think we had people, because we help people in the real estate investing world, I think people were coming up to us saying, well, where's your Lamborghini? Yeah. Like, is, I don't see the Ferrari outside. <laughs> Meanwhile, for the first five years, Nick was driving a rusted, neither of us care about the car we drive, but Nick especially so, that he was driving our, his old rusted Honda Civic, which actually worked perfectly. And it was one of the guys on our team who you just met, actually. Yeah. He pulled Nick aside one day and said, Nick, listen, you know, some some clients are coming in and I don't want them seeing you getting in that car. <laughs> but meanwhile, Nick's financial situation has always been rather healthy. Yeah. Even then when we were starting the business, yeah. but he just, the car wasn't his thing, right? Yeah. But the first five years of the business, I can say, although we had some rental properties and stuff, that first five years of, of opening business is why I can relate. We pushed every single dollar back yeah. into the business and only took a dollar to eat food for our family if we could. Otherwise we were scrounging for other ways to feed our family. And uh, it's tough starting a business. The first five years, to me at least, is there, there's nothing there. You're 100%. pushing everything back in. Yeah, and you, you have to keep the grind because at some points, and we, we face this, that you kind of feel like, oh, like this is moving too slow. It's not going anywhere. And and if you let that get to you, you can you can end up feeling a little bit depressed. And uh, so you just got to push through that and then and focus on the long term, you know, 10 years out, and then work your way back. How are you going to get there? And just set goals. You know, like you, you gotta, you gotta educate yourself. Yeah, that's that's the best. For you guys to get in that business without being in that business is rather incredible. Yeah. So I have no idea how you survive because that <laughs> I, I feel like that's not an easy business to walk into. Because yeah. you're talking equipment and your food and hiring people. So were you guys staffing the first place yourself? Like, were you working in there yourself? Hundred yeah. percent. Okay. For years, we were just uh, working in the kitchen alongside with managing everything as a business like from a business side of things and uh yeah we mastered it we had to learn every single like little thing that happens in the restaurant uh otherwise you won't be able to iterate and improve on it uh so yeah we did that for years and uh it was it was a good time of you know of of our careers i loved it Uh, i love getting intimate with customers and and stuff like that but now we've grown and i i focus more uh, personally i focus more on the marketing side of uh, the business, which is your highest value at this point. Let's face it. Yeah. Being the chief marketing officer of your business has the greatest returns. Yeah. But you said something interesting, iterate and improve. Why did you use that language? You, you that to me means you're documenting things and you're trying to make these checklists or processes better. Why yeah. do you know how to do that? Like, why do you know that that's important to do? Where's that coming from? Yeah. Be- because there's a big difference between just a regular mom and pop shop and then a franchise business, right? Uh, for a franchise business, you have to create 
like systemized operating procedures so that a five-year-old can do it. And to build those with everything regarding the restaurant is not easy, uh, especially with a shawarma. It's not just like, you know, flipping a burger. Uh, you need to have an art in the way you wrap it, the way the toppings, the amount of toppings that go on, like just tiny little details. I that... like how you just jab the burger joints right there. Like, <laughs> it's not like flipping a burger. Yeah, 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 it's really it. not, you know, yeah. so it's like, to me, I feel like it's, it's like an art and, uh, I need to perfect that across all locations before we can, you know, start expanding because we could start expanding everywhere. And then, you know, everybody, all the franchisees start making crappy shawarmas and then, you know, we'd lose customers. So the, the iterating part was making sure that, you know, when this gets launched at mass scale, it gets done right. And the same shawarma you have in London is the same one that you have in BC, you know, so... I'm sure there's Canadians listening to this and people in the U.S. and around the world, if anyone's listening to this beyond that, that want your shawarma. Because when you do the videos of your shawarma, it looks amazing, you know, when you're eating it. And you got you might not know this, you know, because I grew up here. If there was no shawarma around. Like when I was in high school, we didn't go yeah. for shawarma. There was like pizza, pizza. You went to the pizza. I'm trying to think. You went to the pizza places, Mr. Sub, yep. bur burger places. But there was no shawarma. But then in Mississauga, some guy opened a shawarma place and there was a lineup out the door and around the corner. It was an industrial yeah. unit. And I think it was all these like Canadians who had never eaten shawarma before. And we were all eating these things going, what is this food and why has it not been here before? And now I know it's, you know, it's obviously around. Yeah. But uh, it's 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 not been a big thing in Canada. It's still, I would say, relatively. Well, no, I guess we're. we're 20, 30 years. But, that's, uh, that's about to change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're here. You're <laughs> that's here. That's about to change. So what, okay. So then what happens in March 20 or, or whenever in 2020, you were about to get into that story. Yeah. So um, we we always ran our business, uh, Tom, in, in, in a way where we're conservative. Uh, we're saving for a rainy day uh, just because that's the way we were brought up, right? Um, we were hammered the, the, the value of saving you know, ever since we were little kids with a piggy bank. So we, run, we ran the business that way. And uh, we invested personally into uh, like over the years into stocks and, and stuff like that, mainly stocks. And 2020 hit. And luckily, we were actually out of the market, like 75% like out of the market was just sitting there in cash. Uh, from like our personal portfolios and the business as well. And we went to March and the, the whole COVID crisis happened. And it was the, it was like for, for a restaurant business, Tom, it was like a nightmare, right? Sales, you remember the freak out, everybody freaked out. Our sales dropped 80% in like a week. Right. And uh, with a restaurant business, it's not that's not easy at all uh, to deal with mentally and, and everything. So I can't even imagine what's going through your mind at that point. You have food yeah. sitting in fridges that's not going to be good forever. Yeah. You're paying your leases on the different locations. Yeah. You're wondering if any customers are coming coming back ever because yeah. of that, that beginning. We there was a few weeks at the beginning where I don't think any of us had really a clue. Like, yeah. like how serious is this thing? Yeah. We had no idea. No idea. Yeah. And everybody was terrified. People were going to Costco stocking up on toilet paper and and all that, you know, crazy bonanza going on. Uh, so at that point, you know, we did what any entrepreneur would do. We, 
we worked day and night to save the business. I uh, left everything I was doing. I went to uh, the restaurants, worked you know day and night. I opened, worked in the kitchen, did the dishes, everything because I let like most of the people go. And we had three locations at that point. And then each one of us were also three partners. Uh, each one of us went to like take over one of the locations and we just worked day and night to make it happen. And as I'm doing this, Tom, I'm realizing that um, from an investment point of view that this is a good opportunity to uh, put money in the market. And so I go all in. I go all in on stocks, mainly stocks. Um, that's from my personal portfolio. Uh, mainly stocks, but then I bought a little bit of Bitcoin after it had like crashed that you know 50%. Not a lot, but I just bought a little bit. And then you know the interesting thing that happens after you put your money in investments is that you, you tend to want to learn more about it. So that's exactly what happened. Uh, I started looking up Bitcoin material and I, I bumped into uh, an article by Robert Breedlove, which you have had on, on your show before, called The Number Zero and Bitcoin. And I read this article, Tom, and I was like, holy crap, this is a paradigm shift. This is something completely like new, right? And so I read it again because it was a long article. <laughs> I read it again and then bought more Bitcoin. And then uh, right away, I bought uh, the Bitcoin Standard by Saifedean. I devoured that in like three days, bought more Bitcoin. Uh, bought The Price of Tomorrow by Jeff Booth, which you've also had on your show. Devoured that, bought more Bitcoin. And it kind of grew from this like cool, fun investment idea to holy crap, this is, a, this is a really good investment idea. It's like the best investment idea. And then it grew from then to like, this is a savings technology that, you know, I should actually put my whole wealth into it. And then it grew to a way of life where I wanted to incorporate it into my business, into my kids' edu education funds, into every aspect of my life. And that happened as I, I uh, learned more and more about it. And also it happened, Tom, as we were going through like that rough, like that rough stage in the business. So as I'm doing dishes every day, I'm like have my AirPods on and I'm like listening to, to podcasts, listening to books, listening to everything. And I'm just trying to, um, you know, learn more about it. So uh, <clears throat> I drag my partners in, for, you know, with me uh, down the rabbit hole. I start sending them all the materials that I've that I've read and they start to become Bitcoiners and they go through their own rabbit hole. And we're, we're all Bitcoiners at that point. And then we've had a few meetings uh, where I you know, suggested that we should put some of the business money because you know, we've been you know, operating you know, fairly well during this time and we didn't eat like a lot of losses during the, the lockdown because we were able to uh, keep the businesses alive. So we should, put this money in Bitcoin. So it kind of, ha we got it had a few meetings, but we didn't really like, you know, jump on it or anything like that. And as soon as I read the MicroStrategy news, that first time Michael Saylor bought Bitcoin, I was like, this is going to be a race to uh, of accumulation 
for all companies and all corporations because everybody's having the same problem. We're not just the only ones with this problem. And we just jumped all in at that point, and then we just tweeted about it. And here we are. <laughs> You're, and I can't, I don't know, I guess there's an original tweet storm, but I feel like there's this one thread. I don't know where I stumbled upon you, but I, I feel like it might have been one of your first threads about it where you were like, why is this, why is Tahini's put its whole corporate treasury into Bitcoin? And I feel like it was a thread. Maybe it yeah, wasn't. Yeah, yeah. And I just remember reading that and I go, because oh, Nick and I, like, it's funny. While you're washing dishes over there, our office is closed down other, other than myself and Nick. And we had somebody at the front to receive checks because real estate was still going. Yeah. So we need someone at the front to, to receive the checks. But Nick was in his office. I was in that back corner where you were just sitting earlier. And so while you're listening to this on podcast, doing the dishes, Nick and I, we are doing a whole bunch of Zoom calls for all our investors about like, is are people going to pay rent and what's going on with the tenant board? So we brought in our paralegal yeah. to talk to them about, okay, like the tenant board shut down. Here's the way you should be communicating and negotiating. And then, you know, should we take credit lines out of the bank now? Because our bank's going to like close, like, you know, it got crazy there yeah, for a little bit. And, and so we were doing all that, but then in my extra time, and there wasn't many much because we were trying to put out so much content for our, our investors, I was starting to go down the same path. And I remember reading Robert Breedlove's article. It's funny that you say that one. Um, and I printed it off for Nick because I remember reading it in my backyard. I don't know yeah. why I remember reading it. I remember putting it down going, holy shit. <laughs> and I printed it off. I put it on Nick's desk. I'm like, Nick you have to read this. And then I went, I think I stumbled into Saifedean, the Bitcoin standard. I think I, sta I, I, I know on Twitter there's a whole bunch of stuff going on between Raul Paul and, and Saifedean and stuff, but I think it was actually Raul Paul who I have to give credit for because he called out the Bitcoin standard so much yeah. that I went and got the Bitcoin standard. So I actually have to thank him because he brought me into that, that world. Yeah, same and here. Yeah, yeah. So he really mentioned that and I, bought, I, I got that book. And like you, I read the Bitcoin standard and I thought, holy shit yeah nick and i had studied gold for so long and we told all our we were telling all our investors hey we believe in owning good assets and the quality of your assets will dictate the quality of your life often <clears throat> but some of your savings you should hold in hard money if it's not going to be in an asset and likely gold's the best place for that and then all the characteristics of gold when Saifedean was listing out all the characteristics of bitcoin and it was kind of like it's better here it's better here it's better here and i you know when your world just starts crumbling down i'm oh. like holy <laughs> shit, this thing needs our attention. I ran from that back corner. I literally ran around the corner to Nick's office. And I'm like, Nick, we got to buy some of this Bitcoin stuff and we have to buy it today, yep. you know, for the exact same reasons that you're, you're saying it. But I want to ask you something. When you put out that first thread about your experience on Bitcoin, I don't know if it was a thread, the first one, but you started announcing it. Yeah. Where was that coming from? Why did you feel like I know because you're, you're marketing shawarmas. Yeah. <laughs> but like I didn't feel in reading your tweets that it was coming from like I felt like you were coming from such a good place. Yeah. Like what was going through your mind when you started sharing your journey with people? Where was that coming from? Mainly from educational purposes. Uh, I felt like, um, you know, as a business that decided to take this step uh, that I should say this and, and say it to everyone. Uh, to the world that, you know, you can do this. This is an option for businesses. And for what we're going through right now, this is a pretty good option. So I have it actually on my pinned tweet on, on our Twitter. What's uh, your Twitter Twitter handle? Can so you share it now? Yeah, it's at the real Tahinis. And uh, that pinned tweet uh, is, is a thread of the announcement that we made back in August. And 
at the end of it, it leads to another thread of a bunch of content like YouTube videos, interviews, uh, things that you learn about Bitcoin. And then it leads that thread leads to another thread. So it's like a kind of like a rabbit hole of threads um, if people want to learn more about Bitcoin. And we just share the passion of Bitcoin and we just want to share that with the whole world pretty much and that's why that's why we did it and so is any pushback from customers or anything on your twitter feed of like hey why are you guys talking about bitcoin stuff like what's going on here um yeah like um not that it matters i'm just curious customers not so much because like 97 percent of our customers don't even know what bitcoin is and they're clueless about maybe now they do but um Back then, they certainly didn't, and uh, we didn't really care about uh, about that part. Um, but we've had mainly like a ton of good feedback from from us entering. I was a little afraid to be honest, because when you go on Twitter and you see the Bitcoin community, they can get aggressive. It's a war zone. Yeah, man. You they're gotta- they're wolves out there, right? But you know, it's wolves are good because if you're part of the pack. You know, they're super friendly and, and so nice and kind and everything. But, you know, if you try to attack that pack, they're vicious, man. They're going to rip you apart. Uh, so nothing but good feedback from the community. And I've, you know, like I said, I love it from all my heart. And um, yeah, so it's just it's been good so far. Who uh, who are some of the before we go deeper into this kind of line of thinking? I'm just trying to think Robert Breedlove was really influential to me. Saifedean was influential for sure. Raul Powell, because he definitely, um, and then I stumbled into, I don't know when Preston Pish started putting out his Bitcoin podcast. I feel yeah. like that was in the fall when he started, but those podcasts have been incredible. Yeah. Um, who else? There's so many. John Vallis, uh, Greg Foss, who we were, we were talking about. Yeah, Greg yeah. Foss was uh, definitely, when Greg Foss sat right where you're sitting yeah. and Nick was sitting right here and Nick is not a guy who's easily intimidated. And when Nick asked Greg, um, well, how do you know that uh, Bitcoin's going to go to where it's going? Because Greg was saying, you know, it's going to go up quite a lot. He yeah. said it was basically a rounding error. Every time he's been in here, he said it's a rounding error. It's yeah. a rounding error. <laughs> and he stood up and he just started pointing at Nick. How do you know it's not going to where I'm saying? How do you know it's not going? And I just saw Nick kind of back down a little bit. Like, oh, this is interesting. I've never seen anyone intimidate Nick in this way, right? Not in a bad way by any means, but really just be so passionate yeah. Yeah. with conviction. So Greg Foss has had a big influence on us. Jeff Booth. I mean, now that you think of it, you with your tweets and, and you with your t- tweets specifically, just so you know, because when Nick and I were doing it for Rockstar's Treasury, we were like, okay, we're doing it. There's other people doing it. This is something that, is important and we should pay attention to it now because it is a little bit of a race. And I don't mean that in a bad way, because if you, if you're listening to this and you haven't started Bitcoin, it's not like it's too late. Yeah. I just mean that it is a, it is something to consider and it seems like it can make our business healthier. If we can keep the savings of the business and something that goes up in value, it makes the business healthier. So I think seeing your tweets was like, okay, yeah, you know, there's someone else thinking the way we're thinking and it kind of gives you a little bit of that validation. Um, but for us, I think it's been, we've studied this stuff for 10 years and, and debt and interest rates. So when we saw it, everything just kind of clicked. It was like, oh my yeah. gosh, this is the way we're going to protect ourselves. Yeah. Um, any other names that have influenced you that I haven't mentioned? I'm trying to think who, I know there's tons. Andrea Santanopoulos is definitely A great one. There. His books were His, great. The Internet of Money, we also devoured those. Uh, they so, were super helpful. Um, everybody in the space, you have to 
you know, go in and, and read everything. Uh, Vijay Boyapati, yeah, Lynn yeah. Alden, Lynn Alden, Preston yeah. Pish. Yeah. Preston Pish was our introduction. Like that first buy, that curiosity buy that we did at the beginning was because of Preston Pish. So, oh, he was already talking about. Thank it back you, Preston. Then. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. He have had like Saifedean and and uh, Plan B on his on his show before COVID, and. Everyone in the space is just is just amazing. Michael Saylor also like the 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 way he talks about Bitcoin makes so much sense, and he talks about it in such a simple way. Um, the language is not really hard to understand, and the reasoning uh, is not hard to understand. Uh, so I recommend like all of your listeners to to you know listen to everyone that we just mentioned. Uh, but from the point of like businesses doing that, we, we did get a lot of people that, you know, friends actually, like friends that are close to us saying like, this is too risky. Um, you guys are crazy. Like you're irresponsible. Um, you know, putting everything, putting all your money into Bitcoin. And uh, that happened like a while back. Um, so, so far it's been not so crazy. It's been <laughs> a good move. But the reason why it's not crazy is because if you don't have a financial strategy after the year 2020, you're going to have a really hard time growing your business. Because if you just look at the facts of um, money expansion, you know, the money expansion of, of the year 2020 was around 25%. So, and if you just think of, inflation from first principles, it means that the value of your money is down 25%. And that is just not going to stop over the next five years. I'm not saying it's going to be 25%, but uh, endless and, and a lot of people are expecting it to be around 15%, which is pretty high. What does that mean as a business owner? It means that if you're not growing your cash flows, not your top line, your cash flows by 15% every year, you're losing money. If you grow, if you grow them by 15%, you're staying still, right? If you're, if you're growing by less than that, you're falling behind, which most people, Tom, they, they can't grow their business by 15% every year. So if you ignore that financial part and the macro environment that we're in, you're just going to be running on a hamster wheel and it's just going to, as the years go on, you're going to end up getting poorer and poorer, but you're working harder and harder. It's not going to make sense and eventually you're going to get depressed and it's just not going to be, it's not the right decision. So, And this applies to everyone with an income too. Yeah. You're talking about business owners, but someone earning an income has to get more than 15% take-home pay in their pocket every year or they're going to fall further and further behind as well, which is what's been happening, which is what we call the destruction of the middle class in this country. 100%. I know you came to this country, so I don't know what you made of it before you got here, but growing up here, I've always felt with by traveling back to Croatia and seeing like no middle class, and then coming here, I'm like, oh, Canada has this weird thing where it's like there's quite a few people who are in about the same financial situation. They can yeah. all take a vacation. They can all do this, send their kids to school. This is kind of unique from my travels around the world. And I feel like it's being ripped to shreds in front of our eyes. So what you're talking about to me makes perfect sense. And I feel like that's why some people listening to us are like, why are you guys always harping on this thing? 
And it's not so much that it's even about Bitcoin. It's about that if you don't look at what's happening in the world, you're going to fall further behind. Choose something else. If you if you don't, if Bitcoin's not your thing, I don't know. Choose real, we're, we, you know, we talk about real estate. Choose gold, choose silver, do something. But to turn a blind eye to this, which is easy to do. Yes. You're, you're leaving yourself behind. And one more thing. When, when one of the businesses or your friends said you were irresponsible, it's interesting that you say that because I felt like it wasn't irresponsible to go into Bitcoin. I felt it was irresponsible for us not to. Exactly. And I think it's your context of your family with what happened in Egypt, your father having to go back to Saudi Arabia to work. That was looking back. I'm not going to say that was good times you know, going through that. But the, the fortunate part of that is your framework for understanding what's happening today was was formed by all those experiences. So yeah. in some way, it's almost fortunate that you went through that. I, and I know there's a lot no, of pain there, but it is like, you know, um, you don't get to be the person that who, who you are without all of your experiences, right? And uh, you won't be able to make the same decisions without your previous decisions. So uh, in that sense, I agree 100% and um, put your money into like you have to you have to first focus on on making enough income that you're able to pay off your your monthly expenses and then save some and whatever you save you need to put it in an investment something anything okay the thing is when we were looking back then at other like stocks and and uh, gold and real estate and all that, it, uh, you know, they all had that same problem of the, the, they're all based on fiat. They're all on the fiat system. So all the companies in the stock market are going to have the same problem, which is the, they have to grow their cash flows 15% a year or else they're getting debased. And that goes the same for like, maybe commercial real estate, but not scarce real estate, like uh, beachfront property or, or something like that. And so we're, we were left with scarce real estate, gold, and Bitcoin. And you just have to, at that point, when you reach that conclusion, you then compare the properties of each and every, each single one. And we did that, and our conclusion was uh, Bitcoin is, is better than gold. And uh, real estate, it's good, but it's not liquid enough and we can't add on a monthly basis to it as we would like. Uh, and at that point, we just reached the conclusion that, okay, Bitcoin is the best decision right now. So we jumped on it. Crazy. What a, what a freaking journey, man. And now just with what you've done on Twitter, communicating with everyone, I feel like around the world, you've just made a name for yourself in this <laughs> space, which has been super cool. Yeah. Um, what do you tell people who think about this stuff? And say, well, I'm just going to, you know, when, when, it, when something hits a certain price, because Nick and I in real estate, we've watched, a, I guess, two different types of people. Some people in real estate have said, I'm going to grow a portfolio and then I'm going to take lines of credit against that portfolio as long as the cash flows can pay for it. Yeah. And then I'll leverage that to do grow the portfolio further. Or if I have to buy myself a family home, I'll use the money to buy a family home. So when I hear people talk about Bitcoin and they're like, well, when it hits a certain price, I'm going to sell it. Yeah. I'm always kind of cringe. And there's this one story I want to share with you. When I was at or I was at Oracle for seven years and Larry Ellison, who I got to think is still one of the richest men in the world. He's got to be yeah. still top 10 or something. 
I'll never forget. It was like 1999 or something. And he was sending out emails internally. At the time, he was just smashing Bill Gates. He was like, Bill Gates doesn't get it. The internet's the way, not client server. And I remember thinking, this guy's so smart. I'm like, it's obviously the way. But it took years for it to kind of develop. Um, I said, this is the way, like the Mandalorian. I don't know if you watched the Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. I'm like, yeah, this is the way, this is the yeah. way. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I lost myself there. Um, but then I remember seeing his financial statements and people were ripping Larry Ellison because he had a, he had, I think he was worth at the time three or $4 billion and he had a billion dollar credit line with a $990 million balance on it, which means he had taken $990 million. And I remember thinking at the time, this guy's kind of like, he's so smart in so many ways. But, and I was 20 something, right? I'm like, yeah. but he's obviously kind of stupid in this way. <laughs> Why doesn't he not just sell his Oracle stock yeah. and like pay for things he needs? Why does he have a credit line on his stock? And then, you know, it doesn't make sense to have debt when he doesn't need to have the debt. And then after getting into real estate and realizing if you sell a property, you're going to pay capital gains on this property. Exactly. Whereas if you can borrow against it and do it smartly, not over leverage. Yep. I mean, there's a lot of people who don't do it smartly, but do it smartly. That's the way. Yeah. And now I never thought we would talk about it in this world. But when I hear podcasts where the CEO of BlockFi is talking about all the banking stuff and we had Maurizio here on from Ledin yep. talking about how they're doing right here in Toronto and his amazing story from Venezuela. Yeah, I listened to that episode. You got to hear it. You must go back yeah, and listen his, to it. Yeah, right yeah, now. yeah. His story is so good. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. You might not have to do that with your Bitcoin. When I say that, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, so I'm glad you brought it up because we've actually, I've, I've been personally been frustrated when I hear people on, on Twitter and people on, on Clubhouse and stuff saying, oh, I want to sell some Bitcoin to buy some real estate or buy a Lambo or buy this. Why would you do that, right? Like you just mentioned the example of, of uh, Larry, right? He had a ton of stock and that stock gave him the option to have a big credit line and then he can borrow money against his stock and pay zero tax, right? So what ended up happening in the Bitcoin community is that Bitcoin banks got built on top of the Bitcoin network and those companies facilitated the same exact transaction. You can post your Bitcoin as collateral and borrow fiat against it. And uh, there's, you just mentioned Ledin, uh, there's Unchained Capital, there's BlockFi, there's HODL HODL if you want to do it like in a peer-to-peer -peer way. Yeah. Uh, so there's, there's many different options. You have to obviously do your due diligence, see what's comfortable for you, what's right for you. Uh, each has their own level of risk too that you have to consider. But the principle is still the same. You don't have to sell your Bitcoin ever unless we're completely out of the fiat world where there's no more fiat. But in essence, you never have to sell your Bitcoin because let's let's take an example for Tom, just just to make it like clear for for the audience. An example of um, you've you've went on a Bitcoin stand, you bought a lot of Bitcoin and then you want to buy like a hundred thousand dollar purchase. OK, so a hundred thousand dollar purchase. Uh, if you're you know a high income earner, you'd have to pay around 40 to 50 percent in capital gains tax. Uh, between 25 and, and 40 to 50% in capital gains tax, okay? So that means you have to sell uh, around $150,000 to $200,000 in Bitcoin just so you can buy the $100,000 Lambo or whatever. So 
let's look at the alternative, right? The alternative is that you can now go to a Bitcoin bank, any one of them, and borrow uh, post 200,000 as collateral and borrow the 100,000 uh, to buy your Lambo. And the interest rate is high. It's not, it's not low, but it's 12 to 14% based on which, which bank you're using. Now, I'd, I've just did like a table just to calculate the, the, how much it would be like in five years. So if that interest rate stays at 12%, you'd borrow 100,000 at the end of the five years, it would be 160,000, okay? And you had to post around 3.58 Bitcoins to, uh, to get that collateral. That 3.58 Bitcoin, if you can uh, just take the average growth of Bitcoin over the past decade, it's been 200%, okay? So I'm going to be very like bearish and say Bitcoin is, is going to be maybe 700,000 to a million in five years, which is very low expectations, by the way. Uh, but that 3.58 uh, Bitcoin is now worth 2.5 million, Right? And you have a debt of 160000 at the end of the five years. So just sell it then and pay it off. <laughs> as simple as that. Or keep rolling it over, right? You know, so there's, there's, you can use um, the Bitcoin companies as your advantage. If, you're, if you have Bitcoin as your reserve asset, you sh it's a reserve asset. You shouldn't be selling it. Right. And, and that's something that I hope maybe gets talked a lot. You know, Bitcoiners have a big concern about those Bitcoin banks. You know, it's uh, the, the ethos is not your keys, not your coins. So I would recommend just doing it with like the collateral that you post has to be less than 25 percent of your Bitcoin. Because, A, if you if Bitcoin price drops, you have more Bitcoin to post as collateral. And then B, if, if that bank fails, you, you lose that Bitcoin that you have, but you still got the Lambo. It's, it's obviously a risk that people have to consider, um, but you're, you're, you're not wrecked. You know, you only put a little bit amount. If you're putting 100% of, of it in, in, that's not a good decision. That means you just have to stack more Bitcoin over the years. It's not gonna take long for you to reach a million dollars. By the way, Nick, to, to get, you know, to use 200,000 of it as, as collateral. Just keep stacking, keep doing what you're doing, and you'll get there. But the fact that individuals have that option to, that only the, the elite of the elite used to have is, is unbelievable. Like, people in Venezuela can use this option. And it's, it's the same thing as, you know, Larry Edison, right? It's mind-blowing. And... Uh, I love that we, we have that option. Definitely do your, you know, your due diligence. Check out your, the, the risk profile. Only use like a small amount of collateral so you're not, you know, you have to have custody of your own keys. Uh, but don't sell your Bitcoin. That's, that's the worst thing you can do when Bitcoin's being monetized globally and it's like going crazy. So, so you don't, uh, it, it's interesting when you, when you state a price of like Bitcoin could be at this price in a few years. And I think even a year ago, that would have just sounded completely crazy to me. But I find myself sitting here listening to you thinking, 
Yeah, I mean, that price could, it, you can build a case for that price being completely reasonable. And if you follow plan B's stock to flow model, it's kind of like, well, I remember reading his model. For those of you who don't know, he's, he kind of uses a pseudonym plan B, institutional trader. I think he recently quit his job and he has this model yeah. where he's measuring kind of the stock to flow of different assets against Bitcoin. And he comes up with these prices where at the end of this year, even it could be, or, you know, it could be at I feel crazy saying the price, like $288,000 or something like that at yeah. the end of this year. But I remember reading his stuff in like August. Yeah. And I remember thinking in August, I'm like, okay, this guy's saying the price in August, if I remember right, was around maybe 12000 or, or something. U.S. I'm talking yeah. U.S. dollars. And uh, he said, okay, in his model, it was like by December or January, it should be like 30K and then, or, you know, December 30K, January 40K, something like yeah. that. And I remember thinking... Is this, this is like... Is this guy on drugs? Yeah, is this guy like smoking crack? <laughs> like this thing has not passed 20 and he, he's talking and he was kind of like, if the model holds, like it's not me saying this, it's just the model speaking and you know, like it's... And then all of a sudden the price just started mirroring ex literally exactly what he started saying. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. So to hear you state these prices right now, it's tough to make the argument against it when you've watched all this stuff happening and yeah. seeing how much money kind of institutional money is like kind of sucking in here and how the world is changing so fast because you mentioned... BlockFi and Ledin, of course, here in, in Toronto doing this kind of stuff. But um, when you mention HODL HODL, like from my understanding, I've never used HODL HODL, but that's peer-to-peer -peer lending. Yes. Whereas you and I, you can post a need for some lending and we can, I can loan out my Bitcoin to you. We could decide the interest rate between each other. Yeah. Now we're not even going through any sort of banking system yeah. at all. And obviously we, there's, you know, certain, the collateral has to be posted. And I think they do it like through a multi-sig, like yeah. both both parties post the collateral and have signatures to release the money. And there's a third party, HODL HODL has like the overriding release ability or whatever. Yes. But that's then fascinating. Yeah. And this 100%. is what I'm always telling, uh, Nick and I are always talking about this. I'm like, Nick, when MP3s came out, it ate the music industry. Like MP3s ate the whole music industry. And the music industry still exists and there's iTunes and stuff like that, but a whole chunk of the music industry, like the retail distribution outlets and stuff, boom, just gone. Yep. And I'm like, I feel like Bitcoin's at this moment where it's gonna eat the financial system. And they don't even see, I, I think a bunch of them see it coming now, yep. but a whole bunch of them still, I feel like are in denial. And I'm like, what? Why would you need some of these old financial systems when you and I can just transact together seamlessly here? We can lend money to each other. Exactly. I mean, things are going to get crazy. And I'm yeah. not saying you'll ever take Bitcoin. Well, I guess if someone wanted to pay you a Tahini's for Bitcoin, yeah, take the Bitcoin. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, no one's ever going to pay. Like, I'm not going to walk in. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to pay you in Canadian dollars. <laughs> I actually, <laughs> Tom, now that you mentioned that, so I, I, since we did our announcement, I have like tons of people that come out to me and say, like, hey, do you take Bitcoin? Do you take SATs? Oh, really? And we were just like, uh, guys, no, we don't. <laughs> uh, we don't want to. We want you to, to hodl yeah, your yeah, Bitcoin. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah. don't spend it. <laughs> we don't even have in infrastructure to accept Bitcoin payments. It's uh, just you with some, all right, here's my wallet. Scan yeah. me some Bitcoin, right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, ultimately, you shouldn't sell your Bitcoin to get a short. You don't want to be that guy that, you know, spent... Uh, whatever the amount of Bitcoin on getting two shawarmas and then 10, 15 years. You know what it is I think about yours, your, your restaurants in particular? I yeah. think people almost want to, if they got onto Bitcoin because of you, this is almost something they want to do to either honor you, pay you back, or just to say they did it. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I feel like your restaurant specifically <laughs> maybe should have the ability somewhere in the future. And I know people should hold it, but I just feel like for myself, I know this is going to sound so cheesy, but when I was going to your restaurant with my son there, I felt like, I felt like this is something like yeah. we're doing, we're like honoring the community here. Like, you know, this is like, we're doing awesome. something. So I almost feel like you're one of the rare places where yeah. I'd be like, yep, I'm going to pay with some sats for this yeah. thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, we're slowly easing into it. Uh, I, um, uh, like we were doing some business with a Bitcoin ATM company where customers will have the option to buy some Bitcoin at our locations. Um, so that's going to grow there as the infrastructure grows and, and like the, the payments thing become easier right now. It's not easy to do like small payments. Um, you have to use lightning network to do like, do it cheaply and all that. So it's still a bit of a hassle. You're paying you a know, lot of your vendors still yeah, in fiat. Exactly. You're still paying your taxes. It, it and, is and, a little and, cumbersome. Yeah. And that's the point. You, you can take payments because Bitcoin is not currency. It never was right. When you sell it to pay your employees in dollars, you're paying taxes on that, gain or, or loss and you have to keep track of that. It's just an accounting nightmare. So go, us going on a Bitcoin standard doesn't mean we take Bitcoin payments. It only means we operate 100% on fiat and then whatever profit we make, we just take that and convert it into Bitcoin. And um, so hopefully, you know, other businesses can, because uh, can, a lot of people think that this is the case. If you want to Go on a Bitcoin standard, then you don't you can't use dollars at all or 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 something like that. No, you don't have to use Bitcoin payments at all. Right? Just treat it as your savings account. And that's all you gotta do. And um What did your father say? Sorry, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. we've had a lot of businesses reach out to us actually after the announcement and then uh they're telling us, uh, hey, like I, I loved your story, I wanna do that for my own business. And I've been loving those um you know those people that reach out to us i don't want to disclose their business names or anything but it's been amazing and a lot of businesses uh, medium size and small size are doing this move and they're reaching out to us how do we do it what do we what's the best way to do that what's the way so it's been an amazing journey i this is why we're we're you know very loud on twitter is because i want to help other people you know, Bitcoin helped me, helped my family, helped my kids, my brothers, my parents, and I want to help other people, right? So, um, you I've are been loving man. You the are responses. keep going, and your memes are great. You are helping other people. What does your father say about all this? So, when he, when you hear him, he must relate, no? Like, does he does he now get it, or no? Is it is it just so foreign that he doesn't get it? Yeah, he's. Um, so I. <laughs> Funny you say this. Uh, I told you this before the podcast. I tricked my parents into buying some Bitcoin. Um, I uh, way back in like April, I told them, uh, uh, "Listen, like, have this like really cool investment idea. Uh, you should trust me on it." And my dad was like, "Okay, sure, go ahead." And <laughs> I put um, a lot of money. He asked me what it is. I'm like, "Listen, Dad, don't ask me what it is right now. I'll tell you in like a, f- a few months. Just give me six months." So uh, he trusts me, uh, and then he ended up investing like a lot of money into Bitcoin back in like between April and May and June timeframe, and uh, yeah, and now he just loves it. 
it's all about Funny, yeah, when the price goes up when the price goes up it's yeah it's he hard doesn't not really, to become a fan yeah right? he doesn't really get it that much but like he loves it he's all about bitcoin now it's like bitcoin everything now. so our mom our mom is 74 and we kind of tricked her into buying it too because we were helping a lot of people around here buy it and we're like yeah. mom you got you have to buy this stuff yeah. but she's so anti-establishment i think that like she had to hold up her her driver's license to get verified on yeah. one of the exchange and they weren't taking our picture and she's like yeah. forget it the gut you know the government doesn't want me to have this stuff it's obvious <laughs> because i can't get it and i'm like no mom you it was like a blurry picture yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? yeah just take yeah. a better picture and you can you're gonna be able to buy this stuff and she finally did it and then she put her money in in but didn't buy it and then i think one day my son aiden is uh, he calls her Baba and he's like, hey, Baba, you know, you you should buy it. Like, go ahead. And she, finally, she listened to her grandson. Uh, of course. And she bought it. And right, I think it was like the next day, it goes, you know how Bitcoin goes on yeah. wild swings and it started just going, pumping yeah. up like crazy. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then all of a sudden, she's doing the Bitcoin dance over yeah. here. Thinking, oh my God, this is an amazing <laughs> thing. Our father is 81. We don't have him in uh, into it directly. Yeah. Uh, we always have his back though. It's family. Yeah, so we, yeah, yeah. we, we got him. Same here. But yeah, our father can barely freaking answer his phone never yeah. mind get him on on uh, on an app so that's good that you guys, you guys did that so if someone's listening to this what would you how if they haven't gone down the rabbit hole and they're like i'm just sick and tired of you people talking about bitcoin all day long yeah. what, what would you is there a resource would it be safe's book or robert breedlove i don't know podcasts where do you guide people now maybe that's the better question yeah Friends so reach out i for you know when somebody first asks me the first thing i recommend i tell them listen you have to get three books and you have to read them as fast as you can right you have to get the bitcoin standard by Safedine to understand what money is and then you have to under uh, you have to buy the internet of money by andrea Santanopoulos to understand the technology behind bitcoin right and then the third book is you have to buy the price of tomorrow by jeff booth to understand where the future is going. And those three books come at it from like different angles that you get, you have to get that aha moment, right? But don't just stop there. Like we didn't, we certainly didn't stop there. Those were kind of the first things we, we went down, but we constantly are listening to podcasts, uh, listening to your show, listening to tons of, tons of material that's out there for free. YouTube, the Ma Michael Saylor, Ross Stevens. Is it Ross Stevens? Yes. Ross Stevens interview that you mentioned earlier. Yes. That one in particular, if you Google up Michael Saylor, yeah. Ross Stevens, that's yeah. a YouTube interview. That one's fascinating because it comes from inst the institutional angle. A hundred percent. I would recommend listening to all of Michael Saylor's interviews. I've listened to all of them. Some of them I've listened to uh, four times <laughs> already. And... Uh, he, you can't not listen to Michael Saylor and you end up stopping the Michael Saylor interview and like, I got to buy some Bitcoin right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. does that to you. Yeah, He really does. And he, you can't argue his logic. That's the key point is that he uh, explained things in from first principles and it just makes sense. And you can't ignore that unless you're intellectually dishonest. So definitely listen to, to, to those. We're 10 years from today. Where's Tahini's? What, what is Tahini's? Is it really, you want to go national? You want to go North America? You want to go global? This is, this is it. You're young. Yeah. You're young. So the world is your oyster right now. <laughs> With Bitcoin on the balance sheet too. Um, 100%. Is it something you, you guys want to continue growing? Yeah, 100%. Like this is what we do. Um, this is what we're, we're 
we're passionate about next to Bitcoin. Like uh, Bitcoin is just uh, money that we're passionate about, but what we do in our lives is uh, making food, you know, feeding people, right? So we're, we're pretty excited about where the business is going. Uh, we're planning a ton of things uh, in Ontario this year. Uh, Whitby's already open, right? Yeah, Whitby. So Whitby's already open, uh, but we're also uh, open. Where in Whitby? Give everyone an intersection. So if they're out there. Uh, 4160 Baldwin Street. Okay. Yeah, so again, this little plaza and it's next to a Walmart. Whitby, anywhere else open outside? Because how many locations in London? Four? Yeah, we got four in London. So one in Whitby. One in Whitby. And where, where next? And then next month, we're opening in Barrie. Awesome. Uh, it's going to be at uh, 642 Young Street. And then uh, the month after that, we're uh, opening in Etobicoke, uh, to, uh, 2261 Islington Avenue. Oh, yeah, got it. Uh, and that's then, why our mom's happy, by the way. We grew up on the border of Etobicoke, Mississauga, just yeah, inside Mississauga. Nice. That's cl- that one's close to our parents' house. So nice. She's awesome. happy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that's awesome. So yeah, we're just gonna. What about this Oakville? Year. No Oakville. We got to get someone to get the Oakville franchise. Oakville is coming. Yeah, it's what? in the works. You're actually the first person to know about this, uh, Tom. So Oakville is in the works. We've already this year, uh, next year, this year. Uh, just I can't give you an exact date because we're still finalizing with you know the um, landlord and everything and construction and everything like that. But it's coming this year. Uh, Three hundred North Service Road. Oh, got um, it. That that will be the location. And uh, yeah, so this year, all of this is happening. Hamilton is also opening up. Uh, and then after we hit those like 10 to 15 locations in Ontario, we are definitely planning to go outside of Ontario. So we're going to hit other provinces. We're going to go to the U.S. Uh, we're not just going to stop there. And you know what's so cool about your family story is we talk about this all the time. In, in real estate, we have to pay attention to immigration into this country because the population levels dictate a lot of the demand for properties. And when property yeah. prices are kind of manipulated by untrue monetary policy with interest rates, yeah. we have to pay attention to the fundamentals, supply of property, yes. demand for the property. But then to hear your story, and we talk about this a lot, to the quality of people that we get coming into this country, right? 100%. Like your father. Coming 100%. in here, your mother coming. Is your your mother's here as, as yeah. well? Your father, your mother coming into this country. You mentioned your father has a PhD. Yeah, yeah. He what? got he got his PhD from uh, University of Windsor, and that's how he you know he immigrated here. And uh, so to have your family, yeah. then he goes back home, right? Yeah. Raises his family to a certain age. Decides he wants to get out of whatever's happening over there. Yeah. You guys choose Canada to come to, come to you. And to get your family here, and then you mentioned something earlier in this podcast, you just brushed by it. You said, we want to work. Yeah. You want to come here. You want to work. Yeah. Contribute to the economy. You build these beautiful restaurants that we all get to eat your beautiful food. And then you're contributing, you're paying taxes into, we can all argue whether the taxes are fair or not fair, but you're (laughs) contributing back into the economy and then you're growing. Like this is what makes Canada very unique to me, that we get these people from all over the world in our own office here. We have people from all over the place. Yeah. So I just feel very blessed and grateful to be able to sit down and chat with you, man. Like yes. this is very cool for you to share your story and that we have this weird, who thought that we would have this Your Life, Your Terms podcast. We talk about real estate, <laughs> but Ali's here talking not about shawarma, but about Bitcoin and shawarma. <laughs> and it just brings a lot of us together who are after the same thing. And that's why I think the future is bright because, you know, we, we talk to you, Maurizio from Ledin. Um, there's a there's a podcast dropping uh, today with Jordan, the COO and the president of Bitby, um, Adam. Yeah. And I just meet and you guys are all young. And I'm like, holy smokes, man, 
there is this other generation coming up right now and they're going to lift us all up. And yeah. I mean that as yeah, I'm coming at that from a really grateful place because I think for the last couple of years, while we've been accumulating real estate and gold, it's been like, holy smokes, I don't see any light at the end of this tunnel. Yeah. And let's just kind of get ready for the mayhem. Yeah. But you guys represent a certain energy that I really, uh, uh, yeah, I'm really grateful for. I, I got, know that sounds cheesy, man. I know. No, how no, cheesy no. I, I got to Listen, I got to throw that back right back at you because what you're doing, Tom, and your your business and your show is, is you know, was originally about real, mainly about real estate. And then you had the, the intellectual honesty to look at the world and say, OK, like this Bitcoin thing is is very important. It's going to help a lot of people. I want to help my audience. And you know, the, the, the fact that you talk about Bitcoin and interview people in the Bitcoin community is amazing, super helpful for everyone in the community. And I, I really appreciate, appreciate that. I've been, I never miss a show, uh, you know, one of your shows and I just love it. So keep doing what you're doing. Cool. And listen, we have this training room here right now. It's not being used for anything because the, you know, apparently the government tells us we can't use it. But one day we have to have a massive shawarma party at Rockstar. Hell yeah. And bring everyone around. Yeah. Sponsored, but not sponsored. We're going to pay. I don't mean sponsored. I mean, Tahini's going to be here with the no, food. On no, on the no, house. No, 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 don't no, worry no, about no, it. No, no. <laughs> anything else, Ali? And that's it, man. Thank you. Thank no. you for doing this. Uh, your Twitter handle one more time. Yeah. So let's add the real Tahini's. Uh, our DMs are open. If you want to ask us any questions uh, about Bitcoin, about franchising, about anything, really uh, feel free to shoot us. It comes to me directly. So um, I'll be happy. And, I'll be and happy the to answer URL that. for the restaurant or is there, do you guys do delivery and, and stuff? Yeah. Okay. So what are yeah, the so uh, our, our website, our Tahini's website is tahinis.com. Um, very easy. And uh, you can order pickup and stuff like that online directly through the website. Uh, it also connects to all the delivery platforms. Uh, we're definitely integrated with all the online uh, platforms. We're not, um, you know, staying away from those. Uh, but uh, yeah, you can reach us there, and, and uh, we can't wait to make you some good shawarmas. Awesome, man! <laughs> Thanks, Ali. Appreciate this. Thank you, Tom. Hey, everybody. So hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Ali. He's a great guy. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. The Twitter handle is at the Real Tahinis. So that's at. The Real Tahinis will put links to his Twitter handle and to the Tahinis restaurant website on rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash podcast. If you find this episode, links will be there for you as well. I really enjoyed chatting with Ali to see a 31 year old talk about the things he's talking about really f makes me feel positive about the next 20 years, 30 years, 40 years for the world. I love the fact that we have millennials i guess he's a millennial millennials talking positively about their future like this is amazing so i'm pumped for him pumped for their restaurant franchise i feel it's exciting especially me bringing kids into the, the you know into the world my son's 19 young adult now i feel motivated when i talk to people like ali so thank you ali for sharing your story follow me on twitter say hi go into one of the restaurants and say hi and if you are listening to this and you want some real estate information from us, you can always find that at rockstarinnercircle.com. That's www.rockstarinnercircle.com. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.